0: And the consequences of this massive misunderstanding and misapplication of the kingdom of God leaves followers of Jesus confused as to the purpose and meaning of their life. It leaves us spinning our wheels. It leaves us depressed, defeated, deflated with no passion and energy to live life as God has intended us to live. It leaves us always looking for meaning rather than bringing meaning everywhere we go in this world. So I have three questions for you, and I need you to answer them in the affirmative before we move on. Because if I ask these questions and you don't answer, I'm just going to stand here until you answer. So are you ready for some clarity on the kingdom of God this morning? All right. All right. Yep, thank you, thank you. Yeah. you get me back for last week, I get it. Are you ready to have your hearts captured by the kingdom of God this morning? Yes. Now see, that wasn't near as enthusiastic as the last one. So I expect the third one to be really, really good. You're saving it for the last one. Are you ready to be persuaded to move courageously and convincingly as you go out into the world this week? Yes. All right, we are doing good. So we are going to cover scripture from the very first page to the very last page this morning. Are you ready? Oh, no, apparently not. Okay, (laughs) Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The Dominion Mandate. If you do not know the Dominion Mandate, your walk with Jesus will be significantly weakened. When we read Scripture, we need to pay attention to something we call the Principle of Firsts. That when something is first mentioned, when God first speaks something, it is of primary importance to us as human beings and as followers of Jesus. And so we see that before God makes man, as the the Trinity is communicating and communing with one another, they say amongst themselves, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And before he even creates us, he tells us what our purpose is in this life. Why he is creating us. And he, why is he creating us? Because he wants us to take dominion over the earth and to fill the earth as image bearers with his glory. That is why we exist. And he is so emphatic. About this, that when he does finally create man and woman, the very first thing out of God's mouth to humanity is, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over every single thing. This is a primary command and doctrine for us as human beings. Now, I'm going to give you a definition that will help you, that help you think about this this week and beyond. A definition for the dominion mandate is a spiritual command to make all things reflect more clearly and beautifully the reign of our sovereign God. If you want to know why you exist, this is why God made you. This is why he gives you life. This is why he gives you breath. So that you would make all things reflect more clearly and beautifully the reign of our sovereign God. This was God's intent and purpose for us as human beings. Now from here, if you're familiar with the biblical story, we immediately jump from this at the end of Genesis chapter 1 over to Genesis chapter 3 where we have the fall, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve and they bring sin into the world and with sin comes death and decay. At this point, there are two kingdoms that are now established. There is a kingdom that is now, we call the kingdom of this world sometimes. And this is alluded to in Scripture. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world, uh, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, "...in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers." to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So I give you these verses just to establish a premise that there are two kingdoms that exist, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, sometimes called the kingdom of this world, sometimes called the kingdom of Satan, because he is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. Now, I'm not going to go into any details about this, and I don't want you to think that we are dualistic, that they are equal kingdoms, right? Because God is still sovereign and more powerful. Satan is only a created being. God is the creator of all things. I'm not here to work that out for us this morning, because that is a whole other massive misunderstood topic, okay? But we're just going to establish this fact, and we're going to move on. If you have questions about it, we can talk about it another time. But I, here's what I want you to see. From this very moment, there is an intention from God to overthrow this kingdom. Because the very moment that um, sin is brought into the world, God announces to man and woman, to Satan himself, that one day I will send a savior. Who, though you will bruise his heel, he will crush the head of the serpent. This is Genesis 3.15. And from here, everything in Scripture becomes about overthrowing this kingdom of the world. So he calls out Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I am going to make you as plentiful as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sands uh, on the sea on the seashore. And Abraham's like, well, I've got this problem of infertility in my marriage. And so at 75 years old, God says, well, I'm going to give you a child who's going to remedy all that. It happens about 20 years later into his 90s. But in this moment, God overthrows infertility in Abraham's life. If you look at the story of Moses and Pharaoh, Pharaoh has captured the Israelite nation. They are enslaved. He raises up Moses. Why? Why? to overthrow Pharaoh and his kingdom. When Moses takes the people up to the edge of the promised land, and then Joshua takes them over across the Jordan, what was the purpose? It was to overthrow the land of Canaan. It was to overthrow the evil that was in that part of the world, that every place they were to step with their feet, they were to overthrow evil and establish God's law and God's rule and God's kingdom, wherever they went. The problem was they end up wanting a human king. And so they say to Samuel, hey, Samuel, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel says, guys, this is a really bad idea because Yahweh is your king. And they're like, we don't care. We want a human king. And so the first two kings after Saul do pretty well, David and Solomon, but after that, it just becomes a gigantic mess, and it just deteriorates further and further and further. And because Israel wanted a human king rather than the king of kings, it just continues to get worse to where eventually the, the, the tribes are dispersed, the people are in shambles. They've been overrun by Syria. They've been overrun by Babylon. And then God finally goes silent for 400 years from the close of Malachi to the appearing of John the Baptist. And so things appear incredibly dark, incredibly hopeless. People are asking, does God even exist? Is God even there? Why are you not speaking to us? But yet, throughout all of the prophets... There was one common, consistent message. And if you read the prophets, if you read Isaiah, if you read Jeremiah, if you read Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Zechariah and Haggai and just on and on, you will see there is always a strand of hope. And that strand of hope and that message that runs and threads its way through the entire Old Testament is this. There is a hope of a future king and kingdom to rule and reign over earthly kingdoms. This was the hope that people attached themselves to. Daniel, in chapter 2, verse 44 says, And in, those days of the, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. "...nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." And so you, you need to pay attention, to, because the thing that you will see as you read these passages is that this kingdom is established forever. See, the kingdoms of this world, they are never permanent. But the hope of the message of the Messiah and His kingdom is that it is a kingdom that would never be destroyed. These people had seen kingdoms rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. We in our own lives, we see nations rise and fall, rise and fall. But the hope of the gospel that was preached in the Old Testament that we still proclaim today is that there is a future and coming kingdom that will last forever and will never be destroyed. Where sin and death will be no more. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 35 verses 1 through 4. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. So throughout the Old Testament is this message of hope that one day God will overthrow the kingdoms of this world. And so after 400 years of silence, the Son of God takes on flesh. Jesus is born into this world. And after 30 years of living a common life, of being a baby, become a boy, a young man, a man working alongside his dad in a blue-collar job, he, he steps into his ministry, his public ministry, at about 30 years of age. And if you remember, I just taught you about the principle of firsts. And it's a very big deal when the Bible does something for the first time, when God does something for the first time. So I want you to listen to the very first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, as we flip over to the New Testament. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, He proclaiming the good news. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the very first words from Jesus, the time is fulfilled. Let me state it to you stronger. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of time. Everything that's happened from before creation to the beginning of creation, everything that all things have been pointing to, I am now fulfilling all of it right here and right now in your midst. This is the good news. This is the hope you have been waiting for. Repent and believe in this good news. And I want you to now think about this under our title, Empowered to Overthrow. Because Jesus, as the fulfillment of time, Jesus as the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God into the world, what happens every time Jesus, as the kingdom of God representative, comes up against the kingdom of darkness? Jesus walks up to a fever. It gets overthrown. Jesus walks up to blindness. Blindness gets overthrown. Jesus walks up to a man with leprosy. And what was amazing to their eyes, rather than when Jesus touches the man, and where the leprosy and the uncleanness should be transferred to Jesus, for the first time in in world history, righteousness is now transferred into something that is unclean. Jesus easily overthrows this disease that was a death sentence in that society paralysis gets overthrown prisons that held captive tax collectors and prostitutes that gets overthrown over and over each and every time jesus comes up a little k kingdom of satan he easily overthrows it if you know anything about mark chapter 3 where jesus gives a story of binding up the strong man jesus binds up the strong man with no effort whatsoever Jesus was empowered to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. And then in in, in fully inaugurating this victory and showing his power to overthrow sin and death, we see that most clearly at the cross. Jesus, living the life that we should have lived, a righteous life, a sinless life, willingly goes to the cross, dies For the sin of humanity, the good news being, the good news proclaimed then and now, that if you repent and believe in Him and put your full faith in Him as the only way by which you can be reconciled to God, then you are now declared His child and have been transferred into His kingdom forever. But you've got to think, I mean, like I think sometimes we just kind of talk about the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection, and we just kind of pass over it. We just take it for, for granted. And there is something just like, man, like that truly happened. But I think one of the things we kind of miss in this is that Jesus, kind of like Babe Ruth, just calls his shot, right? Like, he doesn't just say, I'm going to rise from the dead. Like He tells you how many days he's going to stay dead and the day he's actually going to come up, right? Like I think it's really impressive if you can rise from the dead, right? But I actually think it's a little more impressive when you're like, here's when I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it on the third day. And you're still not going to believe me, even though I'm going to tell you I'm going to do it. And on the third day, he calls his shot, and he rises from the dead, just like he said he was going to do. Over 300 promises are made in the Old Testament that detail very explicitly the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you know how hard it is to write something 700 years beforehand saying exactly how it's going to happen and it come exactly true 300 times? It is statistically impossible. It is statistically impossible. But yet everything that the Old Testament promised and said, Jesus did every one of them. In that moment on the cross, as, it, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He disarmed this, the kingdom of this world. He puts them to open shame through his death, burial, and resurrection. And in this moment, the kingdom has now been inaugurated. So you've got to think, when Jesus dies, he inaugurates the kingdom. That was at that time. Today, we are living in the era where the kingdom advances, and one day, the kingdom will be consummated when Jesus comes back. So we are living in the in-between. Let me give you an illustration I think will help you with this. In the perspectives course that many of us are taking right now on Wednesday nights, they gave this brilliant illustration that if you go all the way back to World War II, what is famously known as D-Day, which was on June the 6th, 1944. The Allies won a battle on that day that sealed the war on the beaches of Normandy. Though World War II was not over, that was the decisive blow. From that moment, there was nothing that the Axis could do to turn back the Allies and defeat them. Victory was sure as of that moment. But was the war actually over? No. For 11 more months, they had to continue to advance in bloody battles along the way, still conquering the, king, the, the, the places that had not been taken until we finally get to VE Day on May the 8th, 1945, where the war is officially done where there is no more fighting at that time. It is the exact same way for us as we live in this in-between time and this already but not yet. The war has been won. But yet there are still many battles to fight along the way. We are all called to fight battles with our living until Jesus returns to consummate this whole thing where it is all officially done, where there is no more sin, there is no more sorrow, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering. So we need to understand a few things. We are called to go to battle. This is why Paul writes to Timothy and says, Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ and do not get caught up in civilian affairs. We have a battle to fight in our lives. But in this battle, we know that we stand and we live in victory. We are not the defeated, for Jesus has already claimed the victory for us. He's already accomplished the victory, and so we need to live from a place of victory as we step as children of the light on and into the kingdom of darkness as we seek to push and repel it back. We are not defeated. Jesus is victorious, and so therefore we walk in victory. But yet, how many of you are feeling defeated today? How many of you walk around on a regular basis feeling defeated by the things of this world rather than walking in victory? For the Bible declares that you are to walk in victory because you walk with your identity in Christ, not with your identity in this world. Might it be that you are feeling defeated because your identity is more rooted in this world than it is in your identity with Christ? There is a reason that over 150 times in his 13 letters to the churches, Paul says that you are in Christ, that Christ is in you, that you are in him. We have to maintain and hold on to this primary identity if we are going to walk in victory in this life. All right, so here is where I really hope to kind of start to bring clarity, inspiration, and movement. First point, there are two kingdoms. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So there are two separate kingdoms. And if you thought long and hard about it, you would come up with a list just like I did. The kingdom of the world. Anger, murder, darkness, adultery, worry, hate, anxiety, sin, death, shame, weary, heavy laden, me, excessive individualism, self-righteousness, judgmental, look at me, greed, idolatry, disease, death, sadness, depression, addiction, oppression, Racism, war, lies, corruption, gossip, hypocrisy. But on the other side, the kingdom of God humility, meekness, light, life, peace, rest, joy, righteousness, love, purity, kindness, giving, the Father, worship, healing, wholeness, purpose, freedom, redemption, forgiveness. Value, no condemnation, unity, truth, justice, reconciliation. Those kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another. They are in no way, shape, or form the same thing. We live in the midst of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And this is something the Bible very clearly declares over and over and over. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. And this is you. If you you are a Christian, this is who you were. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is who you still are. You are dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air there are two kingdoms, and you either part of the kingdom of God or you're a part of the kingdom of this world. And the good news for us as the children of God, of those who have been saved, those who have been called, those who have been chosen, those who have been justified, those who have been glorified, you are no longer in that kingdom, for you have been assigned a new kingdom. Look what Paul says in Colossians uh, 1.14. Oh. Go back to 13. Did I only give you that one? Hold on. He has delivered he get, he get there before me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you have been transferred by God himself from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his son, to the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as we see it called at times. And Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 29, that I assign to you as my father assigned to me, A kingdom. This kingdom has been assigned to you. Now remember, did Jesus just come and sit on his laurels and sit back and just kind of let things happen? No. Jesus said, I am here to do the will of my Father. He said, my food. Actually, in John chapter 4, he says, my food. The thing that fuels my life is to do the will of what God my Father has called me to do. We have to realize not only are there two kingdoms, but there is a kingdom that has been assigned to us. There is kingdom work that has been assigned to us. The third thing you need to realize is that the kingdom is in you. Look at Luke 17 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them The kingdom of God is not coming with the signs to be observed nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, if you know anything about this passage, there's a great debate about is it in the midst of you or is it in you, okay? I'm not going to parse out the Greek grammar for you this morning, but I want to establish this fact for you that the kingdom of God is actually in you. You want to know how I know this? Because the Bible says that the moment you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So wherever the Holy Spirit lives and resides, there the kingdom of God is present. So therefore, I can confidently say that the kingdom of God is in you. That the power that rose Jesus from the dead, the power that raised Jesus, Um, that rose Jesus from the dead, the power that can change your heart, it's it's there. It is living inside of you. The kingdom of God is first and foremost a kingdom of the heart. And this is how you know that you are a follower of Jesus, is because there is an, an incredible desire inside of you to live for the glory of God. And you may not even know why, but you're like, I want to do this thing. Like, I remember for me when I became a follower of Jesus three months before I graduated from college, like, I was living my life totally one way, and I met Jesus one day, and then all my desires changed. Now, did my bad habits change? Not at all. But immediately, There was this incredible desire. There was this switch that got flipped on in my heart that says, I want to live for God and for His kingdom. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to get rid of all the other stuff. But a switch went on inside of me. A light switch went on. And boom, I knew that's what I wanted to do. That is an incredibly sure sign that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because my heart's desires were drastically changed. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of the heart, and therefore it is in you. It is as real and alive as I am here today standing in your midst. The fourth thing that we need to do, we need to be highly intentional about praying for kingdom advancement. Part of this work of the kingdom is what Jesus tells us to do in the Lord's prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, there there is still a part of this kingdom that has not come because the whole earth is not filled with his kingdom every heart has not been conquered by the gospel of jesus christ so therefore we are to beg and plead and to pray to god that his kingdom would come because it is the total and complete will of the father done in heaven yes every single thing that the father desires wants and wishes happens in heaven and we are to pray that in the same way That would take place. And the only way that takes place is for human hearts to be conquered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only are we to pray for kingdom advancement, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we are going to be about the kingdom of God, we must first and foremost seek the kingdom of God above all things. Can you say that as you sit here today, as you look back over the last week, the last month, the last semester, the last year, can you say that the primary thing you have been seeking in this life is the kingdom of God? Jesus said this should be number 1 on your priority list each and every day. We also need to realize that as we as we find our identity in this kingdom, as we realize it's in us, as we pray for its advancement, as we seek to advance this kingdom, that we have been empowered to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read things like Acts 9, 32-43, that stuff seems a little far out there, doesn't it? I haven't heard a story in a while about someone who's paralyzed getting up and walking just because somebody prayed. I haven't heard someone being named Dorcas getting raised from the dead in my gospel community. But just because it doesn't happen in our circles doesn't mean it doesn't happen. There are many credible, reliable stories of stuff like this taking place all the time. A missionary that I know, this is is a true story, by the way. There were two little old ladies who, at their old age, had their hearts transferred in the kingdom of God. And they said, we got to tell people about Jesus. And they left everything behind, and these ladies were... In their 60s or 70s, and they went way up to a remote village in Mongolia to tell people about Jesus, and the people laughed at them, and they ended up dying while they were there. After just a few weeks. They put them in body bags, they put them on a train. They shipped them back to their church. They went and they took them down in the body bags in front of their church. They'd been dead two weeks, and the people went down and prayed. And those ladies unzipped those body bags and got up out of them. And I can tell you the missionary who was there and saw it happen. Right now, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. It happens through dreams and visions. Jesus appears to people in their dreams and their visions and they're following Jesus. There are more... There have been more Christians in in Iran in the last 20 years than the last 2,000 years of Christianity combined. There are stories like this that take place all over the world. So I think the question we have to answer, why not here? Why don't we see things like that? Well, let me offer you... As a possibility, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. When's the last time we even prayed for something like that to happen? Because Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So is it the fact that God's power is any less or diminished today? Or is it the fact that we as his children have lost sight and believe in the kingdom of God, that we are called to advance the kingdom, that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of us, and are, but are we just afraid to pray those prayers? Because somebody might make fun of us along the way. Have we stopped believing in the power of Jesus to do more than just save someone from their sins? And can I say, this is one of the great shortcomings of the church in America today. We have made this gospel, we've boiled it down to one point. Get somebody to pray a prayer and to be forgiven for their sins. Let me tell you, this is a massive, integral part of the gospel, but it is not the totality of the gospel. The gospel is this kingdom advancement, this kingdom of light stepping on, binding up people who are bound by the strong man and loosing them from their chains by proclaiming freedom and victory and forgiveness and healing, all of these things that are possible within the realm of Jesus Christ. But when is the last time we have actually believed it enough to step into it and to see these things happen. See, overseas, when you take someone in the Bible and you start sharing the word of God with them, see, they don't have all these preconceived notions of what God can't do. They don't have all this scientific knowledge in their head or these scientific papers. Like, no, 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 no. You know, when Jesus was talking about healing epilepsy or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, or healing demons, oh, that was just an epileptic. You know, or that was just somebody with this condition. Those weren't really demons inside of those people in any way, shape, or form. That's just what they called it back then. That's the excuses we give today, right? Might it be that we don't see these things because we, in fact, have lost faith that God is still in the business of healing people in mighty and miraculous ways. something to think about. Here's what I want you to embrace. I don't want you to embrace going out to lunch today after church and laying hands on people and trying to heal them and cast demons out of them as, where where are we going to eat today Fetterman? Oh that's right, we're here for the meeting, never mind. (laughs) Well, you can you can cast demons out of people here in the meeting afterward, all right? But if you're going to PDQ or wherever you're going Blaze Pizza afterward, we want you to stay for the leadership meeting here. Um, uh, please just don't go walk up to random people and try to cast out demons because um, they will they will they will lock you up. Just so you're aware. But people in there need Jesus too, so maybe that's your plan is to get in there. So um, let let, let me say something, because I don't want to get sidetracked and stuck on the healing and the raising the dead, because we, we have to begin where we are, because that's a big leap from where we are. So I want you to start where you are, praying that God will give you faith and confidence to move forward, something that we have to get over in our thinking and in our mind that is a stronghold in our mind, is we think there's this divide between the sacred and the secular. Okay? There, There is no divide between the sacred and the secular. Okay? What a pastor does is no more sacred than what you do in your work. You might view it as more sacred, but in God's economy, it is no more sacred. Sacred and secular do not exist. Two kingdoms do. There is a reality that there are two kingdoms in this world. And that we are the kingdom of God. And that means everywhere that we step in our life is sacred and holy ground to be claimed for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But we have to live with that intentionality if we are going to see the kingdom of God come to bear in our lives. Because you have to remember, go all the way back to the dominion mandate that we covered in Genesis 1. The definition, it is a spiritual command to make all things reflect more clearly and beautifully the reign of our sovereign God. And that's the question I want you to ask yourself. That where you are now going in your everyday life, can you say that you are striving to make all things reflect more clearly and and beautifully the reign of our sovereign God. And let me say this, it's, it's not like it's that hard to do it where you're already at. You just have to be intentional about it. And, and I, I, I've given quite a bit of thought this week, and because I, I, I want you to think about this. When we talk about overthrowing the, the kingdom of sin and death, overthrowing the kingdom of this world, I was I was thinking about Charlotte this week. Charlotte, one of our Ph.D. students in biomedical sciences who's, who's striving to cure leukemia. Is that kingdom work? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, you're, oh, oh, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you're curing disease. You're overthrowing death. Like, that is kingdom of God work. How much more passionate should Charlotte be among all of her co-workers that she is sitting there? I am fueled by the kingdom of God. I am doing kingdom work to overthrow death, to release people from this prison that was brought on by Satan and by sin. I thought about Spencer, another Ph.D. student, who's thinking about maybe being a professor. How... Often will he have times to, with his students, speak about the kingdom of God as he's talking about computer hardware and mathematical equations. That the beauty of God in design and creation, that every student he comes in contact with, he can speak, and he should be empowered and emboldened because he sees God working in his life, and he can step into those situations sharing what Jesus has done. I thought about Barrett, who is doing tax law. If there is any place that needs the kingdom of light to overcome the kingdom of darkness, woo! come Lord Jesus, all right? I mean, it is with the IRS and the government who steals our money. I think about you who have taken degrees in community and health and family services. Is our community broken? Our families' lives broken? How much more empowered should you be to step out into the world, knowing that you are going as a representative of the king, and that as you get involved in situations, you can bring the kingdom of light to a dark and dying world? I thought about the, those of us who are our teachers in the room. Do our schools need Jesus? All right. Two of you think so. All right. Trust me. I've been in public schools. They need Jesus. Children need Jesus. And they go as kingdom representatives. How empowered and emboldened should they be and inspired should they be every day knowing that they are taking ground for the king through their influence into these children's lives. I think about each and every one of you as a student. Every single classroom you walk into, you have an opportunity to be light and life to a dark and dying world. We invite you to go out and evangelize every week on campus. If you don't know how to do it, that's why we want to engage and encourage, equip and empower you to do so with Pastor Kevin each and every week. And just this, just this week, I was so encouraged to hear there are several Several young ladies in a sorority who are intentionally moving out of their house into their sorority next year just so that they can share the gospel of Jesus with every single person in their sorority. See, that is kingdom work. That is not a wasted life. That is an intentional life of saying we can be light in a dark place. And how emboldened and empowered should they be knowing the king of kings lives inside of them. I think of the stay-at-home moms. I mean, that is kingdom work, raising and training your children to walk in the ways of God. I think of you guys who are going to be engineers, you have an opportunity to go and to build things ethically, to not cut corners, to build them right, to build them cost effective, to not rip people off. Everywhere you go into your work, you will be tempted by the kingdom of darkness to do it the way the world does it. But you get to take a stand and say, no, this is not right. This is not kingdom ethics. For God says he despises dishonest weights and measures. You have an opportunity to work hard and to look good. Just, I was meeting with a young man this week, and he designs prosthetics for a living. I said, why, why do you do prosthetics? Like, out of all things in the world, how did you get involved in this? And he said, man, when I, I knew I wanted to be in the medical field, and the first day I walked by and I saw those people working with those people, and I said, "That is a place where I can meet people in the lowest part of their life and share the good news of Jesus with them while I do my job." Now that is a kingdom perspective. I think about Luke. He's going in the military. With a degree, a master's degree in entomology to try and cure infectious diseases. And that's kingdom work. How empowered, how inspired should Luke be taking on this role in this life, knowing that he is bringing light and life to a place that is known as death? And see, for you guys going into business, let me tell you, this is, this, is, this, this is available for you as well. One of my business partners, he inspires me every single day. You guys just heard him at the men's retreat. This guy has started over 70 companies. He's currently with a group that has 200 companies, and they're looking to start 200 more in the next eight years. And it is all, and they will tell you, it is all to put everything under the crown rights of King Jesus. And let me tell you what he does when he goes and he buys a company. He just did this the other day. He went and bought a company. Here's my business proposal, and here's my kingdom of God proposal. It doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not. He says, this is what it is. This is what I'm going to do to make money, and this is what I'm going to do to bring about the kingdom of God on this earth. And so he goes, and he buys a business, and he tells the guy, I want you to know what I'm going to do with this business. The Bible says I'm to take care of widows and orphans. And so the people that I plan on hiring are widows and single moms who would otherwise be in poverty, and I'm going to give them good-paying jobs so that they don't ever have to live that way, and I'm going to be obedient to the biblical commandment. But what's so awesome about him is that he doesn't even actually want to hold on to the company. He just wants to get it running good for three to five years, and he actually wants the employees to buy it back from him. He wants them to make all the money. He wants them to make all the profit. He does this over and over and over again. And what kind of testimony do you think that is to a lost and dying world when a Christian walks in there and says, here's my kingdom proposal and my kingdom, my business proposal, my kingdom of God proposal. Even the hardest hearts, when even he, he's given them a lower offering price, people will sell him his company and said, not because we want more money, because we believe in what you're doing. We want to see the kingdom of God brought about into this world. Just because he's so open and honest about it. See, we can do this across any and every platform, but we just have to make this the primary heartbeat and driving function of our lives. And so the question is, do you want to be a part of this great kingdom work that overthrows the kingdom of darkness? And do you want to bring the kingdom of light to each and every place that your foot sets itself for the rest of your life? You can do it in any and every field that you choose to do. You just have to be intentional about pursuing it. Know that there will be many bloody battles along the way. Know that the war has already been won. But the enemy still does not want to give up ground that he has claimed. But yet we are the children of light and we are to walk with intentionality and purpose. And to bring about this dominion mandate to make everything more beautiful. To make everything reflect more clearly the reign of our sovereign God. And we do that with incredible courage and confidence. Knowing that Revelation 11.15 says this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. It's already been promised. This will happen. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want your life to truly count for something? Something way bigger than you that will inspire and fuel what you do every single day. That will allow you to bring meaning every place you go rather than trying to suck suck meaning from something that can never give it permanently. That picture is what can give you meaning each and every place you go with each and everything that you do in this life. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up. And uh, we're going to enter into our time of response. And we want to spend some time uh, praying like we always do during the first song this morning. And uh, so, Vinay and April, if you'll go to the back, if uh, Jackie and Kevin, if you'll come up front, Leah, if you'll come up front, uh, Stephen and Theo, if you'll go to the back. um, We're just going to, we just want to, Jeff and Kim, if you'll come up here, we'll, we'll, we just want to pray for you guys. And we want to pray for kingdom advancement in your life. We want to pray uh, for any situation you might be dealing with, you you want prayer for. Um, And this is just an opportunity during this song to respond and to be prayed over. And let me just say, like, we all need prayer, right? Like, we're trying to, as you can tell, we're trying to make this a little more habitual for you guys. But yet some of you, like you walk right past us, you won't make eye contact with us. We know things are going on in your life. We all need prayer. If it's for courage, if it's for healing, if it's for someone else, whatever, let us, let us pray for you in this time that the kingdom of God will advance in your life and the lives of people that you're ministering to. So if you guys want to go ahead and begin, and uh, you want to kill those lights? This is now your time to respond.